You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. And in this podcast, we are here to review the Clemson game after re-watching it, share some of our thoughts in a informal, informal conversation-style podcast, and then we will take a break and we will kind of have a little bit of recruiting talk just discuss you know what happened with lj mccray miami's pursuit there what happened with armando blunt uh, flipping to fsu uh, and, and also get some feedback on on some of the targets here for miami down the stretch but first gabby let's um let's discuss this clemson game and i think that the starting point needs to be Quarterback, Emery Williams, he was thrust into the starting role, uh, finished the day with 151 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 4.6 yards per attempt. You know, I think Shannon Dawson, uh, we kind of said this in the instant reaction podcast, I think, but Shannon Dawson, I think, did a nice job of managing Emery. Uh, at the start of the game, kind of spoon-feeding him a little bit, giving him some easy, quick game throws to get him comfortable, to get him used to the speed and the physicality of that Clemson defense, which is real. Like they, you know, on the rewatch, it was it was noticeable how some of those guys, like 54-0-9-2, um, they're monsters. Tyler Davis, too, number 13. Um but just Emery's performance overall, you know, Gabby, to me, like first, first thing that needs to just be said on the front end, look, he had a good game. Uh, he had a good game in the context of first start against a real defense, top 10 defense in the country. Probably he got the job done. Now it wasn't pretty, you know, at the start of the game, there was lots of batted balls at the line of scrimmage. His first true shot play 
was picked, but Jacoby George definitely was doing some weird things at the top yeah. of his post route, you know, instead Agreed. of continuing the post, he kind of, I don't know, tried to cut it off and go to the corner for some reason. I don't know. It was some weird stuff going on there. So it wasn't Emery's fault, but um, it, a pick is a pick. Ball placement to me in, in the beginning, in the first half was not impressive. Now it got better as the game progressed, which is good to see. Um, you know, the the arm talent from Emery, to me, it doesn't blow me away in terms of just like being able to drive the ball. Uh, he, he does kind of have a long loopy delivery. But for the most part, he's pretty accurate, particularly when he's throwing to the middle of the field or, or running the quick game. And, and to me, maybe the best things he showed was number one, he didn't shrink in the moment which I think is huge, right? You got to know that your quarterback is going to be that guy. And I think Emery has that trait, which is very, very encouraging. Very good. Uh, he gets the ball out quick and with accuracy in the quick game, which I think was big for that Clemson opponent in particular. His ball placement is good in that phase. And I, I too, I was impressed by his pocket presence in the second half when you know, they kind of had to go to more drop back throws and and push it downfield a little bit. There was times where Clemson's defensive ends were screaming off the edge and Emery showed that natural feel to climb the pocket a little bit and deliver some throws. Um, but really, I mean, we'll get into this later, but overall, good, solid performance by Emery. It was encouraging. I'm curious after the rewatch, what you thought. Yeah, to me, I think really my biggest takeaway was probably, it's something you mentioned. I just think how when it was kind of crunch time, uh, Emery delivered. And I think that that's so big, just considering the circumstances, considering the situation that he was in, that everyone was kind of in uh, for Emery to kind of go in there and really back at, you know, maybe late third to fourth, like through the fourth quarter, uh, you know, I thought that he was I thought he played a key role in helping Miami uh, win that game. And, you know, I just just even thinking about and they did, a, you know, they obviously ran the ball a lot. But when they kind of put it on him to kind of make a play, I thought he gave his guys opportunities to make a play. Um, kind of remembered that Colby, that throw that he kind of delivered to Colby Young, that Nate Wiggins just made a, an incredible play in coverage, I think, in the first half. Like that was a good ball earlier in the game uh that strike to Colby Young over the middle of the field on third and long at third I think it was third and 13 uh big big deal um I think he converted a third and eight too uh so I I think he he was really key in and I think helping Miami move the sticks uh late late in that game and again I think showing that he can do what needs to be done at the end of a game to win a game and and that he didn't kind of you know succumb to that moment or just kind of fold in that moment I think is a is a good indication of the type of player he is and kind of that mental makeup. And, uh, you know, from an arm, you know, talent standpoint, I agree with a lot of the points you made. Like, I feel like maybe some of those, those throws, like maybe outside of the numbers, like to the sideline were maybe, um, you know, not as sharp as you would want him to be. I think that, that, that may come with time, but his stuff over the middle. And uh, once he kind of figured out like, you know, that they're, you know, kind of adjusting to them, batting down passes and, and things like that early on, I think that he did fine. And I do agree that he was great with the quick game and just getting rid of the ball, getting it to the, getting it in the hands of those guys. And all things considered, 
you know, Emery Williams, I think, played well enough for Miami to win, which is, you know, ultimately, I think all that mattered for the Hurricanes on Saturday. It was interesting going back and watching the game, too, because it really seemed like the teams had opposite types of quarterbacks. You had Cade Klubnik, who is very toolsy, you know, strong arm, um, very fast. Like you could see the, the straight line speed from Cade. Uh, he was accurate enough. Um, and then you had Emery, who is just flashes the quarterbacking ability um, that I don't know if you can necessarily teach. You know, either you have that feel or you don't. Uh, but he does need to improve his tools. So Cade, the toolsy guy that needs to improve the quarterbacking element of his game, Emery, the quarterbacking guy that needs to improve the physicality, the, the tools of his game, which can happen, you know, in the weight program and, and those those things um, for Emery. Again, I do think Miami managed the game perfectly for Emery to eventually find a rhythm. 40% of his throws in that game were behind the line of scrimmage and he completed all 13 of those attempts. Now those, those completions only went for 45 yards. He went 12 of 13 on screen passes um, specifically. And, and frankly, like when I think about Tyler and how maybe this, this offense can help him in some ways, I do think Tyler would benefit from more quick game, more screens. You know, my takeaway from that two-game stretch, Georgia Tech and North Carolina with Tyler, I'd like to see more quick game and more, you know, I'd like his focus, Shannon Dawson's play calling focus to be quick game and deep shots. I would kind of tamper down the intermediate balls. Now, again, defenses will give you looks that you have to make those throws and I'm not saying you can't throw zero intermediate passes in a game, um, but I think that's where Tyler kind of gets in trouble with the uh, the interceptions in particular. Um, 75% of his, of Emery's dropbacks in that game, he got the ball out in two and a half seconds. Um, when he held on the ball longer than two and a half seconds, his completion rate dropped to three of eight passes completed. So again, he's very accurate in that quick game, short passing game. Um, I want to have a discussion here, though, Gabby, and and I don't want people to read into this discussion as like, oh, we are we are discounting what Emery did. We're not. We're we're having a next level conversation here that I think is fair to have. I'm curious on your thoughts. You know, if that game long term convinced you Emery can be the starting quarterback, whether in 2024 or 2025, whatever. Are you all in on Emery being the starting quarterback in the future? So that's number one. Number two, I'm curious on your thoughts on if Jakari Brown could have run that offense as well. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. And I think we were both sitting there, you know, just like talking about like, I mean, it felt like an it felt like an offense that was that was simplified enough, and I mean you you rattled off the stats, you know it would twelve or forty percent of his passes were behind the line of scrimmage, like 
I mean, Jakari probably could have thrown 40% of his passes behind the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, again, I, I don't think he was asked to do a ton vertically. Uh, you know, I don't he didn't I don't think he completed any of the two uh, you know, deep shots that he took. So, you know, again, I think that Jakari maybe may or not may or may not have completed those either. Um, I think that there's an argument that Jakari could have ran the offense that that uh, that they ran for Emery. And again, and, and I don't think that takes away from what Emery did. I just think if they would have asked Jakari to do it, too, they probably could have done that and they could have you know, probably thrown in a few more wrinkles just because, uh, you know, they, I mean, they, they ran the ball for over 200 yards and I think Jakari would have just given them an extra, um, you know, obviously rushing threat would have added some extra rushing ability. And I, I, I don't know how that would have changed the course of the game or anything like that. And I, I will say, I don't know if Jakari would have gone and maybe made some of those really key plays that Emery made to kind of, uh, you know, put Miami in position to win again. That third and thirteen throw was pretty big time with just how he kind of yes. zipped it in there, put it right on target, uh, like you know, on Colby Young to uh, squeezed it into uh, a pretty tight window. Uh, you know, just kind yeah. of fit it in there. So I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not saying he can't or wouldn't have, but I'm not sure that Jakari maybe would have made that throw right now. Um, you know, he threw the nice fade ball to. Uh, we well, threw a couple, like he kind of threw it up for Colby Young. A couple times made a couple good plays. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure maybe if Jakari would have made like those quality throws, but uh, I, I think that there's an argument to be made that Jakari could have maybe pl- run a, a similar style or had similar success had he been given the opportunity. Uh, and, and again, I think we're both high on the skill set and, you know, of, of what, the, what type of quarterback he, he will be in the future. And I would have just liked to maybe just have seen it since they were doing it. But I mean, again, I think that's, that's my just... main point is I would right. have liked to seen it for a series. Now on the flip side of that, I am impressed that Shannon Dawson was so patient with Emery, you know, just letting him just writing it out with Emery. Yeah. I'm impressed by that. But because also, they won. <laughs> because they won. Yes. Um, but also I, I would have liked, I think it was an opportunity to see Jakari for a series in this offense, most importantly behind this offensive line, I'm curious what that would have looked like. And look, you highlighted some 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 nice throws and nice moments by Emery that he did have in that game. Uh, I think you know with Jakari at quarterback, the game just would have looked different. You know, you would have had more of a running quarterback element. Yeah. You know those those situations probably arise at some point during a game, um, but also too, you know, maybe with Jakari in the game, Miami's doing a a little bit better of a job staying ahead of the sticks, et cetera, et cetera, because of of the run element he does bring. I guess just my main point is like, look, I think Emery went out and played well, did his thing. Um, it's very encouraging, but I don't. I don't necessarily write his name in pen as like future starting quarterback at the university of Miami. And I'm not even there with Jakari yet. Like, I think both those guys are still, I think it's an intriguing competition uh, moving forward. Um, I know we don't get to really see it or haven't really seen it in a live game to this point this season, but I do think Jakari has improved a ton with his accuracy. Um, you know, I think 
right now why Emery is the backup is, you know, there's a belief and I see where they're coming from that Emery has a general, you know, better command of the system. Um, but I do think there is also a belief that long-term, as long as Jakari keeps on this developmental trajectory, he is a much more intriguing quarterback for the future. Now, to me, that kind of, that doesn't even mean 2024. That means 2025 and beyond because Jakari arrived at Miami as a very raw quarterback to develop. Let's also not forget what Jakari did last year against Georgia Tech as a starter. Yes, the level of opponent, not, not even in the same ballpark as Clemson. I recognize that. But last year's offensive line was a disaster um, when he took the field against Georgia Tech in that game. And in that point of the season, Josh Gaddis had lost his side of the ball on offense, and things were just a train wreck and a mess. Um, and, and he kind of put together, I think, a similar type of performance um, in terms of getting the job done. Uh, he threw, I think, for like 130 and three and then ran for 80. So 210 yards of offense against a again, Georgia Tech team that is not as good as Clemson. I totally understand that. Uh, this is just me. But like Mario talks internally about, you know, 2025 being the championship level roster year. I think they have that quarterback on their roster now, whether that's Jakari or whether that's Emery. And I, I hope for the program that both these guys kind of keep battling it out, keep competing. Um, because I think long-term, you know, when we're talking about 2025, I think the best thing for the program is next year in 2024, either Tyler comes back or they bring in like a senior transfer, kind of a bridge quarterback situation. And then in 2025, it's it's an internal guy, whether that's Jakari, whether that's Emery, whether that's Judd, whether that's even like a 2025 quarterback signee, maybe. Maybe they get a stud freshman that year. I don't know. I just hope things, because it's hard being a redshirt, a redshirt quarterback. And, you know, Jakari wanted the redshirt, and I think it's the best thing for him. But I hope, you know, during this time, Things are being communicated to him because these these red shirt years are mentally hard. And I kind of hope they find some way to get him on the field this year in some packages with these four games he does have to play in a red shirt year to keep him engaged. And I know that's like easier said than done because it de- it can depend on the flow of the game, et cetera, et cetera. But uh but I, I do hope that. At some point this year, we get to see the progress that Jakari has made year over year. Because I do think he is a better quarterback this year than he was last year. And last year, he flashed some some nice things as well. So that's my take, just quarterback position as a whole. Again, I'm not taking anything away from Emory. I think he did a nice job, did his job, looked poised, which is important. Last year against Georgia Tech, Jakari also looked poised, did his thing uh, relative to his skill set against the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, and I think for I think for me, uh, you know, 
I, I, I'm just not ready to kind of, I, I think it's kind of like what you said to start. Like, I'm just not ready to label anyone, anything right now. Like as far as just like crown Emery, uh, you know, the future, my, the future of Miami's quarterbacking or anything like that. Uh, you know, again, I, I think you can be encouraged about what you saw on Saturday and at the same time, understand that there's still a long way to go. And, uh, and, and understand that again, it's, I think it's just all relative to just the situation he was in um expectations and to, uh, yeah the expectations like, of what kind of everyone thought uh going and look and people love emery at my i mean people yeah. like i mean basically you know before the game i was you know hearing that you know emery's a a full-blown competitor and he's gonna grind that thing out and we saw that i think we saw we that, that. Yeah. uh you know again just late in that game how he i think you saw that competitive edge of his come out and how he kind of led them to that. And I think, I think he has also Jakari though, right? Right. I mean, both those guys are that. Yeah. And we just, we haven't been able to see that from Jakari yet. And look, so, I mean, if we're talking 2024, I'm on a hundred percent on board with you that I think that they need a bridge quarterback. Uh, You know, if Tyler decides he wants to come back, then, you know, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm all aboard. I'm all for that. But I think that they need to go out and find a guy for 2024 and continue to, you know, communicate to both Emery and to Jakari that, you know, this is a, a this is like, a, you know, they are it has nothing to do with their skill set, just where the program is right now. They need something, you know, maybe more ready, more sure, anything like that. And then see what both those guys could look like again for that 2025 season, because I do think that when Miami starts peaking from a program standpoint, as far as far as like a roster construction standpoint, like one of those two guys could potentially be the ones to, to lead. I think it will be. That one room. Of those two. Yeah. Yeah. But Which I just, one? I don't know. Right. But... And I think there's still so much time uh, to, before we figure that out. And mm-hmm. uh, again, I hope both those guys stay patient and stay with it. Cause I think, both are going to, you know, I think both are going to have a chance to, to be starters here and be quality, you know, to, you know, top, you know, good quarterbacks in the ACC, potentially nationally. Like I think they both have skill sets that, that translate to being good college quarterbacks. Um, but I think there's a long way to go before, honestly, I want to see either one of them like kind of taking over uh, the Miami offense. I don't want to see it any time over the next 365 days, ideally. Attention business owners. Have you filed for the employee retention credit? Do the latest IRS releases have you concerned about your filing? Are you seeking clarity on your employee retention tax credit filing? If you've done your employee retention tax credit filing to a third party and have reservations about its accuracy, turn to the experts at Musarino Furdock PLLC. Their team of experienced tax professionals will conduct a a, a meticulous assessment of your filing, ensuring it adheres to all relevant regulations and guidelines. Their rigorous evaluation process will leave no stone unturned, providing you with a comprehensive analysis of your employee retention tax credit submission. There's no hidden fees. They're here to help business owners who may have fallen victim to a third-party scheme. Seek certainty in a complex landscape. Call Musarino Furdock, PLLC, at 561-437-0414 or visit MusarinoFurdock.com. That's M-U-C-E-R-I-N-O-F-U-R-D-O-C-K.com.
Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at Torres Lionel one, the number one at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text Star today at 561-573-4661. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial, and let's take pride in our finances. So to me, Gabby, like quarterback talk is fun, and, and it was important in that game for Emery to protect the football and do his job. Um, but to me, the, the whole reason why Miami was able to do that, be good enough on offense, was because of the offensive line. They, to me, had a masterclass performance Best performance of the season by far. Uh, That's what relative, I was going to say. I, I do think that was their best performance of the season. Relative to the opponent, no doubt about it. Like it, yeah. It's not even close. You go and look at the stats. Like Miami's pass protection, their personnel allowed only four pressures on the day. We all know zero sacks on the day. Um, just up and down. I think, you know, I had my concerns about Francis playing against a team like Clemson and, you know, look, Xavier Thomas did not play. So that certainly helped uh, Miami's efforts in pass protection, 
But regardless, Clemson has dudes beyond Xavier Thomas and Miami's offensive line. And quite frankly, their, their skill players, their tight ends, their running backs all stepped up and had their best pass-protecting performance of the season against Clemson. And if we're being real, yes, the Emory story is great, but what it, you know, the offensive line is the reason why offensively Miami did a good enough job to win that game. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think the offensive line was, was unreal. I mean, I think, uh, again, I think it's even considering the opponent. I mean, that, that, that's a really good Clemson front seven. And they, I think, more than handled their own. I mean, again, I think you got to, you, you were probably going to have to go back and look at what Clemson's defensive line has just done all season to everyone else to kind of really appreciate mm-hmm. what this Miami offensive line did. Uh, again, I mean, I, I can't even think of a time where a Miami offensive line really just, you know, protected up the way that these guys did uh, against a quality opponent like this. Like, I feel like in the years past, like Miami's lost this game in the at the line of scrimmage, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the trenches, uh, especially at the offensive line when these guys are just throwing this, you know, wave of, of, of talent at them. And I feel like th- these guys just really answered the call. Like, and this, it, the, I mean, just even what they did, just even in the run game, I mean, everything, it just seemed like just totally, totally like incredible performance from, from those guys. And again, I think it's just the vision of what they wanted to look like. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think, I think we're starting to see that like, while things haven't been perfect so far in Mario Cristobal's tenure, your start I feel like the identity of like what he wants it to kind yep. of look like is starting to show in in major ways and we saw it on both sides of the line of scrimmage we, I mean the offensive line absolutely handled business Miami's defensive line absolutely handled business and it resulted in Miami being fully competitive for four full quarters and coming out on top of a really big uh, of, of a on top in a game against an opponent that Miami's just really really had some deep struggles with over the past what 15 years probably longer uh i mean huge and i think that offensive line deserves just such a ton of credit for for what they did against clemson on saturday yeah and the run game i mean look the when you run the ball against clemson i mean miami miami did finish with over 200 yards right and and 80 of those yards came on that brashard smith run um but still you take that out still 130 <laughs> yard game and and that's a good performance against a yeah. big time Clemson front seven. So uh you take that all day. On that Brashard run, it was beautiful blocking up front by Matt Lee, Inez Cooper, Francis. Those three guys blew things up and Brashard had a crease and you saw his speed and playmaking ability. How about just Brashard in that game, Gabby? How yeah. I, I like this package. I would assume we will see more of this moving forward. Shannon Dawson admitted during the press conference on Monday, yeah, I'm starting to learn more about the strengths and weaknesses of our personnel. And he admitted that's why now he's using Brashard Smith more in this type of way. Not only just in the run game, Gabby, but also in the quick game. You're starting to see Brashard look like the player he kind of was in high school. As a playmaker, like early in his Miami career, he kind of seemed like a nervous guy. Um, 
but now he just looks like he's out there playing fast and it's the Brashard Smith we kind of knew. Yeah, it, it looks very reminiscent of uh, the Miami Palmetto version of Brashard Smith. I mean, this is who he was at the high school level. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I, I might have said this on another podcast, but like I remember at one point during his recruitment, he was listed as like an all purpose back. Uh, you know, as like a, a potential running back type, uh, you know, whenever they whenever they had those types of designations, um, obviously, I mean, what he's doing just as a as a receiver, too. I mean, first, uh, I mean, I, I think it was the, it was obviously the 80 yard touchdown, um, but I think it was like the first like actual like play of scrimmage. I think they went to Bouchard Smith. He kind of gets a he he runs for a first down on like one of those little screens that they did to the receivers. I just feel like we're kind of seeing Bouchard Smith kind of break through. Uh, and I think that he he's an ultra ultra talented player. Uh, we've obviously seen the long like the you know the speed that he has. We saw it on the kick return against Texas A&M. Uh, obviously in this with that big run against uh, against uh, Clemson and in other ways that he's able. I think he's just kind of finding confident that confidence, kind of getting into a groove, kind of settling in. Which you know I think sometimes it takes. I, we we forget because I think we kind of glorify you know just these kids as kind of yeah. like recruits that they they need to develop that all these kids they need they right. need time to figure it out like and ray develop. ray joseph you know right. if he follows this trajectory like honestly he's probably going to be a year ahead of richard in terms of trajectory but like he's another guy where like he's not seeing the field now but like if he sticks with it he's going to look like the ray ray we saw in high school which is yeah. a dynamic player yeah and i think it just takes time and i think Brashard's getting to that place in his kind of development in, in that at that point of his development where it's all just kind of clicking. And that's a really good thing for Miami because if Brashard Smith comes around, I mean, that's a whole weapon that Miami could utilize in a ton of different ways in this offense, which we've seen, like we've seen uh, Shannon Dawson start to kind of go to Brashard Smith more in different ways. So it's exciting. I mean, I, I'm really, really happy to see Brashard Smith's success. He's an awesome, awesome kid and he's an awesome football player. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that they continue to find ways to to to, you know, kind of infuse him into this offense, because I think that he can be a difference maker, which, you know, we're already kind of starting to see on a you know week to week basis where he's starting to make more of an impact on on games. He caught all five of his targets, only about like 36 yards in the game. But again, like that was Miami's game plan. Just quick game. Get it out quick to Brashard. He did finish the game with 51 yards after catch. So he was catching the ball quite a bit behind the line of scrimmage getting upfield that's the most yak yardage he's accrued in a game this season so that is definitely encouraging let's stick with wide receivers i was also highly encouraged gabby by the performance of colby young um i think you know he had kind of been quiet here recently some you know due to his own play just not being able to win those 50 50s he stepped up big time in that fourth quarter clearly him and emery have a nice little connection uh, Emery was looking his way quite a bit in that fourth quarter. And he he finished the game pulling down three of four contested catch targets. Most of those, I think, he, for the most part, he was being covered by Nate Wiggins, who is a freak corner yeah. to Potential me. first round pick. He's probably a first round pick. Like yeah. he looked like it to me. Yeah, um, definitely did. I was encouraged by this performance by Colby. You know, look. Again, we talk about how, you know, we, we talked about in the midseason podcast about how, you know, Xavier Restrepo is the guy out there that was making the most plays. So, yeah, he's going to get the most targets. 
Now it's encouraging to see Brashard Smith making plays with his opportunities. Colby Young making plays with his opportunities. Jacoby George made plays against North Carolina with those opportunities. Um, and so now you, you feel more confident spreading the ball around to these guys. And so I am encouraged for the second half of the season that other receivers are going to step up and start making plays. Yeah, I I mean Colby Young. Uh, I think that's cool. That's I think that's who Miami needs Colby Young to be. Like yes. that guy that's gonna go up and find the ball and come down with it. And look, three or four contested balls, even underthrown the- balls. Like they weren't right. even like one of them was like really underthrown. Yeah, and Colby made the play. He boxed out his guy and made the play. Yeah, and the one he didn't bring in was like in his hands. And again, I think Wiggins yeah. just made a really like he made a really like that's when you just kind of. You have to tip your cap. Like, I mean, he he could have realistically made all four of those plays. Like, I think that, you know, if not for being covered by, you know, one of the best corners in college football, uh, you know, I think he he probably makes that play uh, more often than not. And, and again, I think it's kind of like, I think we're, I'm hoping that we're kind of out of like the ebbs and flows of Colby Young because I do think he kind of has some of those like up and down performances. But Colby Young, when he's good, is a difference maker. And that's yes. like the wide receiver one type that Miami needs to, that needs to like be yep. able to lean on on a week to week basis. And if Colby can be that week to week and then just continue to make his strides as he continues to again, grow and develop and, and, and all those types of things like that, that's what you kind of need it to look like. And you got to pair him with others. And of course, I think they need to still add more to the room and, and those types of things. But Colby Young has like so many tools that are so valuable, especially at the college level. And you saw how Emery leaned on him, a younger guy that was just like, you know, kind of looked at him as the guy he went to when he needed a play to be made. So I think Colby can be that type of guy. And again, I think he's another one that's still, you know, again, getting better and kind of finding his footing. And, you know, again, I think we see the ups and we see some of the downs. And But again, when he's good, he's really good. And I think when we start seeing it consistently on a week to week basis is going to be a lot of fun. Running game. Uh, we talked about Bouchard, and, and that play was was big time. Again, I'd like to see more of him uh, taking snaps in the backfield. I think he took six snaps in the backfield. Uh, I think that's a good number just to keep defenses kind of on their toes. Uh, Don Chaney and AJ Allen were the top two guys with Henry Parrish out for the game. Um, you know, look, I, I, the, the stats are not eye popping at all, but both Don and AJ had some physical tough runs that number one, they embraced cramming it up there and taking the yards that they could take, which is what you have to do against Clemson. You have to be willing to get those three yards. They're going to be a hard three yards, but you have to do it. They did that more times than not. There was also runs, I think both guys, both those guys had runs in the second half in particular where they were an ankle tackle away from popping massive runs. Didn't happen, but they were there, and that was encouraging. Again, I think you, you mainly tip your hat to just Clemson having very good talent in the back seven in particular. Like those linebackers erased so many potential, you know, so much yardage by those backs. Like they turned 10 yard runs into four yard runs time after time, after time. Um, I was, 
you know, statistically, that is not Don Chaney's best game of his Miami career. But in my opinion, that was Don Chaney's best game of his career. Also, too, with Henry being out, A.J. Allen got his opportunity, particularly in the fourth quarter and in overtime when Don Chaney left the field with an injury. And I think A.J. Allen showed what he got, what he's got as a player. I really like his vision. I really like his jump cut, his lateral jump cut. And he finished the game in that overtime. I was encouraged by the, both those performances. Again, the talent is a talent, but I think both those guys did a nice job against a tough Clemson defense. Yeah, I I definitely, I, mean, I think the run and just again, even kind of going back to like that la- that last part of the game where Miami went on that nine minute drive, like, I think they converted five third downs on that drive to eventually score like Colby, the Colby young touchdown was on a third down too. I think three of them were running the ball and like, you know, they got like Don Chaney was getting even a little bit more than like what like was neat. I think Don Chaney did have, I agree. Don Chaney had a really good game. Um, you know, I think they gave him a, they gave him a four, a fourth and one opportunity that he ended up taking for like, you know, 11 or something like that. That was a huge, huge, um, you know, point in that game where Miami kind of really needed to to move the sticks. And I think they ended up going for it again. Maybe they didn't get it. But I think that was just a, a, a nice, I think we saw a good, solid Don Chaney game. I get, especially, again, considering the fact that Henry Parrish was out and the way that those running backs, uh, and again, I think it's also credit to the, a testament to the offensive line. But I think those guys had a good enough game, a, a better game, uh, you know, again, especially just looking back to the Georgia Tech game and how it just felt like they just, I feel like we got yeah. more. I feel like we got more from the running backs in this one, uh, where yep. you know, obviously, the same way that we kind of criticized them then, I think we got to praise them for their efforts in in this game because I think uh, you know what they did helped Miami uh, a ton, uh, you know, in getting this thing done. And also, in- both guys very good in pass pro, so yeah. they deserve credit for that in that game. So um, that's it for me on offense. Anything else from you on offense? Yeah, no, not really. I mean, I just, I think just the one thing again, uh, going back to that, that, I mean, I just think the, the converting, I think they convert like just going back to the highlighting that maybe it's just like the nine minute drive. Yeah. I mean, they converted yeah. five third downs on that drive. Like that was just uh-huh. like, and they were all like, I think the longest third down they had on that drive was like third and three, or maybe it was third and four. Like they put them like, I think again, credit to Shannon Dawson too, like put that offense in position to succeed. And then on the game tying drive where they kicked the field goal, they converted the third and third and 13 and then Emory convert. And then they converted a third and eight too. So even when they got put like in those between that nine minute drive and the end of the game, they converted seven third downs on offense. Like, I think like we talk about how third downs could be the difference and converting third downs could be the difference in a game. And like my, the way Miami was able to consistently move the sticks, uh, they were able to had in the game. I didn't check how many in total nine. Wow. So seven of the nine came in those, just those two drives to make it a three score game, then tie the game, take it to overtime. Like that was so monumental and owning the time of possession kind of, you know, taking the ball from Clemson, obviously defense did their thing, but there was just such clutch, you know, again, just moving, moving the chains, moving the chains and moving the chains in those tough situations against that really good defense. So just want to highlight how big yeah. of a deal it was of how efficient they were on third down, uh, you know, down the final stretch of that one. Definitely good stuff. So defense, Gabby, what impressed me, man, 
Lance Gidry just kind of blows me away sometimes with he he makes it like so casual and and like it's nothing how he'll like tweak his scheme or the structure of his defense from week to week relative to the opponent or just like you know if they're down personnel wise at some position group and against Clemson you know we mentioned this in the instant reaction but Miami was running a 3-3-5 and uh you know at the Monday press conference Gidry was asked about it and he basically said you know yeah I was watching Clemson in preparation on, on you know the Sunday before the first day that they start preparing for uh, a game week and he's like you know Number one, Nigel E. Kelly is out for the season. So they're down a defensive end. And he's like, you know, Clemson's thing is, is is running the ball. They got two really good backs. So why not put an extra linebacker on the field, kind of increase our speed, allow our guys to get in those gaps. And also, too, like, they, you know, they have the personnel. They have defensive tackle-ish bodies that can play as bigger defensive ends in those looks like a Jared Harrison hunt, like a Branson Dean, like a Jake Lichtenstein, like a Ruben Bain, of course. Um, And so, and he also said too, like, look, Clemson's been preparing for us for two weeks because they were, they had a bye week And so let's give them something that, that they haven't seen yet from us. So Miami goes out, runs a three, three, five stack with bare front principles Again, nobody does this in college, really. Like that's like an NFL type of mentality almost. And he's not, he hasn't been in the NFL, but like most college coaches, especially like I've ever covered at Miami, it's just about like, uh, this is our system. This is what we do. The players have to play within this system. They better execute it no matter what the personnel is you know, no matter what personnel is available or no matter what talent is available, you know, we're going to run a three, four defense, or we're going to run a four, three defense and, you know, never make any adjustments. Lance Gidry is not that type of guy. And I love it. It was, it was cool watching. I, you called it out early just in the press box. And I was just like, Oh man, like what's going on here. And it was, it was like, we saw Wesley lining up as like, uh, they even use Wesley as kind of like an like the that outside edge rusher. Uh, they yep. used like you know a couple of those linebackers. I think Floyd too. I mean, flag. I yep. mean, it was it it was just a lot of fun watching. And and look, and I think this is what we talked about with Gidry. It's just and and really why I think he's just been so respected just throughout the coaching industry. And you know why he's had success everywhere that he's been. Like it, it's hard to account for. It. Like yeah, okay, this guy was a really good group of five coordinator. Uh, but I mean it. And it's hard to know how that's going to like totally translate. But I think it was evident early on that there's just like, they had just have such a ton of respect for who Lance Gidry is as a coach and as a coordinator and, and all of those things. And it, it, I think he's, it's clear that he's willing to adapt, which I think is so huge. Cause you know, that that's, that's a, you don't see it, that. You don't see that because that requires a lot of like humility, right? Like that requires a lot of just like it's work for the coach, right? It's a, it's a lot. It, it's, 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 it's everything. It's saying, and, hey, guys. And, you know, it almost opens them up to more criticism, you know, yeah. if they switch we, stuff up and it doesn't right. work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and so I mean, it's it, it was a it was a gutsy, gutsy 
uh, you know, I think decision. I think it was, I and you saw it was the right decision. And that's what just kind of like, man, this guy just gets it. And it just kind of, I, th- I think it just confirms a lot of the things that we've heard about him to this point. And look, it's not always going to be perfect. Right. Uh, but I think he, I think we can trust that Lance Gidry has an idea about what he's doing and that he's putting a lot of thought and effort into just figuring out what works best. And I think that willingness to adapt is really, really good because it's true. Like most, most people, it's just like, this is what we do. This is how we run it. And if you're not going to run it, it's worked for And we kind of saw that a little bit last year, right? Like on the other most side of the ball. Coordinators. Most right. coordinators. Most yeah. coordinators. Yeah. But yes, it's... Kevin Steele definitely is that. Uh, yeah. I mean, which is fine. Like it's worked for him, you know. Right. Yada, yada, yada. And so I just think that's all. I, I think that's big time. And look, I think, I think he's the type of guy. And I, I, I think it just personality wise, fit wise, I think he's exactly what this program needs. He's right clearly now. a good teacher, a good communicator. Yeah. And also, too, I think this style um engages the players frankly like i think they like it i think they they come into work you know on sunday or monday and they're like what's coach gidry gonna have for us this week you know so i think there's something to that as well so anyways they accomplished what they set out to do which was stop the run uh clemson 31 yards on 34 attempts i think nuts uh just dominant performance there and uh, and also too, just forcing fumbles, which I think, you know, um, doesn't really get talked about either, because like that's demoralizing. Even sure. even on the fumbles, Clemson recovered. Like, yeah, it's it's still demoralizing when you fumble the ball. Um, so excellent job stopping the run. I thought just if we're talking about just player wise from a run defense standpoint, probably the best game of the season by the linebackers. The guy that flashed. I'm not saying necessarily he played the best, but one guy that that flashed to me relative to what he has shown this entire season, and I don't think he's been bad this entire season, but in that game, I think KJ Cloyd kind of leveled up a little bit. I kind of liked what he did. Yes, he was in on that Brinning stool touchdown pass. I don't I know like what that... you want him to do there. Right, yeah, I will but... say, I feel like that was pretty good coverage. But I think he he played a good game. I would say he played his best game of the season to this point. Yeah, I KJ Cloyd. I I think I think that was a solid, solid KJ Cloyd game. Uh, I thought Kiko, I mean Kiko Mauno was great, and that and just going back to just even just like the fumbles and like it felt like for as much as Miami kind of won the turnover battle in that game, like it felt like there was just there was just more that they could have gotten. Like I think it was the maybe it was the, I don't know if it, was, if it was the yeah I guess it was to Corey Couch that forced one right, and then yes, he did on, uh, and then on, I, uh, Cade. yeah. And then I think even in the in the fourth quarter, uh, one of the times that Clemson got the ball back, like Cam, I think if he got his head, if he got if he turned his head around like a split second, that Kate kind of just like forced one up, um, kind of yeah. to the guy Cam was covering, and like he just like by the time he turned his head around, the ball was kind of like right there, so it didn't have enough time to like react to it. But there, like I think that Miami just forced or just even were in position to have even more turnovers and just like those like I think they caused created more turnover worthy plays. And I think that's just a good sign as they go, you know, again, just ahead and hopefully that turnover luck, uh, you know, I guess had the way some describe it uh, just kind of starts to flow the other way. So Miami basically said, Hey, we're going to stop your run. We're going to let you try and beat us in the past game. And Kate Klubnik went 18 to 34, one pick 314 yards, 
Um, two touchdowns. He was sacked five times. So, you know, not a bad performance, not a good performance. I would say like a solid performance. Uh, um, as the game, you know, early on, clearly Clemson was going to test Miami, Miami deep fade routes on the outside, particularly Jaden Davis, who for me held up, did his job. Yeah. I, you know, he, I don't, I got to go look at the stats, I guess, but you know, those are 50, 50 balls, quote unquote. He probably went one of three against, you know, one yeah. of three, one of four. I, I forget. Um, you know, Jaden did get, he, he tripped or stumbled over his own feet. It felt like on a slant that Cade kind of hit early in the game, but overall Gabby, like I didn't have an issue with the performance of the secondary. Um, you know, quite frankly, I think Jamile Adai has done a nice job developing these corners. I don't think that's been talked about enough yet this season. Uh, he was kind of taking some heat last year. And look, there was times where those corners were extremely frustrating last year with their performances. I think these guys are maximizing their potential. And at the end of the day, that's all you can ask of any coach is maximize the potential of the players you're working with. I think Daryl Porter is ridiculously reliable and consistent. I think Jaden Davis is a pretty good college corner. Yes, he's undersized, yeah. but he fights you, which I'll I'll line up with any day of the week. And to Corey Couch, you know, he's playing he's playing pretty good here lately. So um I think Jamile Adai deserves a nice little hat tip for the job he's doing developing his cornerback group this season. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he's doing, I think he's doing a really good job. Um, you talked about Daryl Porter. I mean, I, I just feel like we, 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 we can't even talk about him because it's just like, I just feel like he just has, I feel like he just does such a good job. Like, I feel like he's just been so good. Like he's, he's just, and, and like maybe the word you said is best. Like he's just been so reliable. Like he's not a guy that I'm kind of stressed that, that I think we, we have to stress over uh, Jaden Davis. I mean, again, held his own had that. I think they had that one uh, ball where again, you know, Bo Collins made a nice play. He's a taller receiver. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got taller. how many inches on? Like, oh, I mean, I think he's six. I think he's listed at six, four, like two, yeah. something two thirty maybe like he's a big, thick guy, maybe two twenty ish. But I mean, that's not a matchup that Jaden Davis is, is, uh, you know, physically built to win. And he did. And, uh, you know, he did a really good right. job with that. And he, yeah, he he did have the trip. Adam Randall had a nice catch and run. But otherwise, I mean, I thought the corners specifically did their, like, definitely did their job. Antonio Williams, Tyler Brown were basically like not, yeah, like, almost like non-factors. Uh, so, again, I think you got to absolutely credit to Corey Couch there. He's been making some plays. Um, and then even I think even back into the secondary, I felt like they did a fine job there. Cam had a pick, which was nice. Uh, nearly had another one. And James Williams got beat once by Brinningstool also. But again, that was just another really like I think both Brinningstool had a good game. You, you know, know I like, think he had, yeah, yeah, it was like a career do? day for him. Yeah, and it's just like both those t- touchdowns that he threw were both really good plays by dimes. the tight end. Yeah, and they're also re- really really good throws. And then really good, you know, catch, like just great catch and throws by the tight end quarterback. And, you know, you, I feel like you have to kind of live with those. I mean, James Williams is 6'5", 
that guy put it over him right into a place. Breeding still got it. It was a reviewed play. Like it was close on the field. He got in like, I mean, not a ton you can do about that. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, quarterback, other teams going to make plays too. I think that they did. Um, but corners wise, I mean, I thought it was, a, it was an excellent performance from those guys. And I think we've talked about it too. Like Clemson at wide receiver isn't particularly like, yeah. you know, loaded up right now. Uh, again, especially considering what they've had in the past, but still it was, it was a good, it was a good performance by those corners and Jamal die, uh, you know, definitely getting those guys, right. The Brinning stool success on the rewatch did kind of make me think ahead for some reason to Johnny Wilson at FSU. And again, Johnny, Johnny Wilson's like a wide receiver. He's not a tight end like Brinning stool, but just like the big, fast freak show pass catcher. Um, for some reason, I, I already thought ahead to that matchup and I don't even know why I'm bringing it up now because <laughs> I don't want to think about that. Uh, how about up front Leonard Taylor best performance of the season. He had a dominant stretch in the second quarter. Um, that was very impressive. Uh, Ruben Bain, we all know 10 pressures, eight tackles, yeah. just ridiculous. Ton of national awards coming out. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you just feel like at this point, like, is this what Leonard Taylor is maybe best, better suited for? Like this style of defense, that type of front, like, like, what do you, what, what, what do you, what, what do you, yeah. Like, what do you credit the success to? Because, you know, it seems like he was way more comfortable, way more disruptive, you know, playing in, in this three man front. Yeah. I mean, look, Lance Gidry said that, so I'll defer to him. I also think too, look, if we're just being real, his, you know, Leonard's effort runs hot and cold. And this was one of those games where we had a good Leonard effort game. And so hopefully moving forward, we get more of those. Um, you know, I think if we could, if we could predict good Leonard Taylor games, you know, Miami would love for us to tell them what it takes, but, um, you know, luckily against Clemson, it was good. And so hopefully more of those come. I think Branson Dean also had a nice little game. Really. I mean, frankly, like, Jake Lichtenstein kind of flashed a little bit in the very few snaps he got. So Jared Harrison Hunt did a nice job at defensive yeah. end. Um, it, it's unfortunate. Nigel Kelly's done for the year. That's tough. Um, that is going to hurt the defense, but uh, guys stepped up against Clemson. So that was encouraging. Um, really quick. I just want to like, I know we obviously talk about how like Miami beat Clemson without Tyler. And I feel like everyone kind of highlighted that Miami did it without Tyler. And like, but they did it without their starting quarterback, their starting running back, and like both of their starting defensive ends out. And I know Ruben Bain's obviously yeah. performing to a starter level, but still, like, I mean, you have now both of your starters out, and Miami still found a way to yep. win that game, which I think is just like, yep. you know, that's a, to me a big deal. Like, I, I don't think there's a lot of teams, you know, who you kind of lay that out. Say, hey, you're gonna be without your quarterback, without your running back, and without both ends, and you're gonna beat Clemson. Like, you know, again, Clemson four and three. You are what your record said you says you are, but that's a talented team with obviously a very rich recent history. And I think that I think that's just something worth highlighting. Like, I think that's kind of a big deal. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, look, to me, that was a culture game. I I am looking 
I'm not ready to say this yet because you have to say this in hindsight, but I am hopeful. I am optimistic that at the end of the season, we look back on that Clemson game and say, you know what? That's when Miami started to turn the cult, turn the corner from a cultural perspective. Like that's when things started to click and guys were really bought in and delivering and performing uh, the way Mario Cristobal wants the program to look like. Again, the talent is the talent right now. Um, but in that game, we saw the fight that we associate with the University of Miami when they are good. Um, so that was highly, highly encouraging. Um, and to me, Gabby, like, look, in the mid in the midseason pod, you know, I tried to make the point that I think Miami is a pretty good team that, you know, and beyond the Neil stuff, like, yes, the Neil stuff, the Neil stuff, the Neil stuff. Uh, but beyond that, this team is a pretty good team that if they don't turn the ball over like crazy, they can compete and beat a lot of teams. And you could make the point, Gabby, that the one thing Miami did better against Clemson than they did those two previous games was win the turnover battle and more specifically not turn the ball over yeah. on offense. And that's just, that's a big deal for this team. And, and hopefully it continues with, with Tyler coming back into the fold here. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely agree. And that's what makes, I think this whole thing frustrating is just because we see teams like this, we see games like this and it's just like, you know, I do think that this is a good team. And I think that this is a team that can be competitive in, in any game. I mean, it really, I think they can be competitive in any game. And, you know, I, 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 I hope that this, I hope that, you know, like what you're talking about, like if Clemson, if I hope this is kind of like the point that we, the point of the season that we turn to, turn, or maybe the point, maybe even, I don't know, maybe that's getting ahead of ourselves, but of like the Mario Cristobal era where like that Clemson game was the, was a time where we can kind of look back and say that was the moment where it all kind of started to, to kind of gel together and come together. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that was just something I wanted to kind of point out. And I, I just thought that that was just like extremely impressive. Yeah. I, what is this? Let's, let's end this conversation here. But like, what do you think this, this game means for the rest of the season? Because I do think once again, like you can see the ceiling of this team, not many teams can, can physically manhandle Clemson. Like Miami did Miami scored, you know, 17 points at, you know, when, when talking about the, the defense, right, um, Miami scored 17 points against this Clemson defense at the end of regulation. That's exactly what FSU's offense did uh, at the end of regulation in their game. Again, FSU had a defensive touchdown. Um, I think you're seeing where, and look, this is a narrow path. I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect this, but I do think you can see where, if Miami puts it all together, like you have the physicality um, and the run game physicality that Miami showed against Clemson uh, with the pass game they showed against Texas A&M, limit the turnovers. This team can score points on offense and, you know, defensively when they're scrappy and, and playing downhill, I think you could see how they can hang in a lot of games defensively as well. When they don't, you know, when they eliminate 
the you know the busts on the back end right. that lead to explosive touchdowns. Again, Miami is beating teams with better talent, aka potential. Um, Texas A and M is the number fourteen in the team talent composite. Again, that doesn't equal performance, but that does show kind of the upside, the talent, the potential of Texas A&M. Clemson is the number five team in the 24-7 sports team talent composite. Miami is number 12. And to level up your program, you got to win some of these games that you probably shouldn't win on paper. Uh, Texas A&M and Clemson were, were kind of like toss-up-y games that went Miami's way. Um what I am curious, you know, again, is if this Clemson game is going to prove to be a cultural moment in terms of turning the corner. Um, Miami, the, the thing that is encouraging in hindsight, Miami was the more physical team in both those games. And again, when Miami doesn't turn the ball over and they're the more physical team, I think they can hang with anyone. I'm still sticking with like, this is an eight and four team, but I do think there's a path to nine and three. As long as the offensive line stays intact to me, like that's now the biggest key of this team. Cause you know, they're, they're kind of the, the engine of, of everything. Um, so that's just kind of my takeaway here coming out of this Clemson game. Yeah. And I think for me, uh, you know, I, I think just especially just kind of review, like looking at the season, just kind of like my perception of it going in, Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like Miami's won already won two of the three games. I thought I kind of like, you know, penciled in as potential losses, you know, when I'm kind of going through my preseason stuff and thinking eight and four, I'm like, all right, well, if they're going to lose four games, like I think A&M, North Carolina, uh, Clemson, Florida State. You know, like that's kind of where I was at in my head. And and I feel like, again, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it was reality or whatever, but Miami's won two of those four games that I thought that they could have lost. So like what you're saying, like maybe toss up games that could have gone either way. Uh, Miami's won those types of, of, of matchups. So like Miami can win, can beat talented teams. And then, of course, you have like the one inexcusable hiccup in, in Georgia Tech that I think you almost hope is kind of like the outlier of the season where it's just like, all right, that happens, have to move on for it from it. You kind of hope you can end up sneaking that one through. You don't um, North Carolina, you know, that was a good team. They deserve to win that day. I think again, both of the things that showed up in those games were the turnovers on Miami side. I think if you clean that up the rest of the way, again, I think you put yourself in position, uh, you know, to be, to, I think Miami's going to have an opportunity to win, uh, you know, a few more games, you know, uh, what there's five games left on the schedule. I think Miami could definitely, you know, put themselves in position to win each and every one of those games. What's going to happen over the course of them. I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated during that stretch at all, but I do think Miami's a good enough team when they're kind of playing, uh, you know, the brand of football that I think they we don't shoot we, themselves in the foot. Right. They when they, when they don't hurt themselves, anyone. they can literally hang with, with any team in the country. And uh, I think we saw, again, it's obviously like, what is it? What do they say? It's like transitive property where like you're trying to like justify something because of the result of something else. Um, but like the way Miami and Clemson, the way Miami played Clemson and the way Florida state played Clemson. I mean, it's, you know, I think those are, I, I think again, if you like, I think Miami's can play a complete game with Florida state, like Florida state's obviously a really good team, 
But, you know, I think Miami showed that they can be just as competitive in a similar type of game as a, as Florida State was in that one. So I think we just see what happens there. But, yeah, look, I hope that this is a, we're at a point of the season where, you know, some of those mistakes are kind of in the rear view where they've learned from them, where they bounce back from them. And uh, they find a way to kind of chug along. And, again, I, this is probably still an 8-14, and 14, which is fine. Like, that's a, that would be a good, solid finish if that's what it ends up being. But uh, I hope that this is a point in the season that really, uh, you know, impacts the rest of it. Yeah, I think Florida State is a better team, but I think Miami at their best can make that a competitive game. And you never know how it goes once, once you're competing, uh, you know, in a game going into a fourth quarter. So... Anyways, positive, positive result against Clemson. Let's see if Miami can keep it going against Virginia. We'll get into Virginia here in the next podcast. Let's take a break here, Gabby, and let's get into some recruiting talk real quick. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we are back. Gabby, the starting point here, uh, Mr. LJ McRae, the five-star defensive tackle out of Daytona mainland. Uh, There was a lot of Florida State buzz at the start of last week. Then, you know what, the final... 24 to 48 hours. There was a lot of Florida state or sorry, Florida smoke. And, you know, Miami was just kind of hanging in the background. 
you know, Gabby was was shouting at the clouds that Miami was in this, Miami was in this. Miami was <laughs> definitely in it. But from from your perspective, you know, take us through what whatever you could share. Uh, yeah, how that all played out. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think it was one of those interesting things. And, you know, I definitely wanted to, I think I just kind of slow played it one, because I, I think I felt like I, I think I anticipated the way that it was going. And I don't think I wanted to like totally drag people through the whole situation again. But I think like, even on like Monday, I was like, like, I, I, I was just at a point where it's just like, no one's talking about Miami in this. And are we going to, are we really going to like kind of pretend like Miami's not in this? And I thought that they were the entire time. And it ended up being that way. And over the course of the week, again, Florida state kind of had buzz early in the week. I think that died down probably around like, like maybe Wednesday or Thursday um, where I think it became kind of evident that Florida state wasn't really in it anymore. And Florida was in it. Truthfully, Miami, I feel like on the Miami side, like they kind of thought Georgia was, a school that really was going to find a way to, you know, kind of smooth that thing back over. But I think just deeper into like the reporting I got, I think it became evident that Georgia kind of maybe tapped out early in the week. Um, I think Auburn was kind of out of it soon after. And then I think by like Wednesday, probably like late Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was became obvious that it was like an in-state battle. And then I think it really heated up like Friday afternoon um maybe evening where it was just like oh like Miami's like a serious serious like contender in this thing right now and on Saturday it was just kind of like full steam ahead like you know it might have been it, I, I'm pretty sure by Saturday it was or like you know by the time it was like decision time it was Miami or Florida and it came down to those two schools um and Florida went out and I think that's really you know, just the way that it kind of wrapped up and that's the way it kind of fell. Um, but I think that there was reason even on like Saturday morning ish where I don't, I, I don't want to say that there was like confidence at all. Like they're definitely my, I don't think Miami ever thought that they were like definitely getting him, but I do think that the path, like they thought that the possibility was maybe more real then, but uh, yeah, they worked it man to the bitter, bitter end. And Again, we've kind of done this. We've done. We've kind of been through this whole situation before, which is, uh, you know, again, why I think I kind of approached with caution this time around. Um, but yeah, I thought I think it was really, really interesting over the course of the week how it was just like, no, Miami's just not really in there. And then by Friday, it's like same old thing. Like, oh crap, it's actually Miami and Florida, and you know, so that was just how that whole thing played out from my perspective. And I still don't really know why exactly it was Florida over Miami. And um, they, but mainland is yeah. I think that's Florida I think it's vibes probably yeah. And I read something else. Uh, you know, like I, I think you know, they, I think he's just been in the area so long. He's probably been going to Florida games forever. And you know, I think that that could maybe play a reason as to why, uh, you know, it went that way. But yeah, I think ultimately he just made the decision that Florida was where he wanted to be over Miami, and just gotta kind of let that i mean it is what it is you know time to move we gotta gotta find a way to to land someone uh miami still is in that mentality to land somebody and uh we'll see if they're able to kind of pull it off at some point so where does miami go from here because you know obviously this cycle was the defensive tackle cycle and you know artavius jones big time player uh, but miami wants to pair him with a premier defensive tackle in this class 
and they've kind of struck out on all their main targets to this point. I'm sure they're not done talking to all those guys. Yeah. But but where does Miami go from here is yeah. your understanding? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, I think we're at a point of the cycle where you still kind of there's still enough time where you kind of just continue to kind of press those buttons on some on some of those committed guys, uh, you know, the, some of the guys that you kind of chased earlier in the cycle, like, you know, I think, you know, maybe like a guy like Justin Scott, maybe he's still someone that you kind of continue to work on. I'm sure they'll continue to work on David Stone, but I think that's probably a long shot. Um, you know, guys like that, where it's just like, you just kind of continue trying, uh, you know, I know they really like Kendall Jackson, who's a, a Florida commit out of, out of Gainesville, uh, Buholtz. Uh, I was trading messages with him yesterday and, you know, he still seems like he's in very regular communication uh, with Miami. Uh, Denos White, uh, again, he's like a, he's a three-star defensive tackle out of the North Carolina area. And uh, I think he's six foot. I think he's listed at six. I think he's listed at six, four, two, three, twenty-seven, or maybe even bigger than that. Maybe he's like six, six, three, twenty-seven. He's just a huge, huge body type. Uh, he's another one that they're going to continue to go after. Um, Marcus Downs is a recent Georgia, a Georgia Tech decommitment out of uh, the state of South Carolina, who told me this morning that he's still hearing from Miami. So uh, I, I think that they're going to do a nice little balance of trying to find elite high school talent, uh, but also kind of evaluate uh, at this point of the season. Uh, Leroy Jackson's a kid out of the state of Georgia. Uh, who they offered recently, who I think that they're still trying to work some stuff out with or try to, you know, get him maybe down here or, you know, just kind of continue to ignite interest. He's committing on November 4th. It really looks like North Carolina is in a great spot there. So uh, who knows where that goes. Uh, but where I've kind of settled on, David, where I think is probably like, which is probably the simplest and probably the easiest uh, path right now is you got to go transfer portal, right? Like you got to... Yeah. You got to hit the transfer portal right. and, uh, you know, Miami's obviously allocated a ton of resources to uh, this, you know, this defensive line class that they coveted. Um, it hasn't necessarily fallen that way. Uh, at, at defensive tackle. I don't, I don't want to say generally because they have a very yeah, the strong, ends are good. yeah, the, the ends are very, very good. Uh, but at defensive tackle, it hasn't necessarily gone as planned. Uh, so I, I think that they are going to look heavy and be, you know, very, very active in the transfer portal to the point where maybe they go after, you know, up to like three guys, you know, three yeah. impact guys uh, who could come in and, and be a part of the of, like a key parts of the rotation in 2024. So I, I think portals probably, you know, maybe the safest route right now, which obviously that's not even safe, but I think it's maybe the most realistic path to landing, uh, you know, again, ready to contribute players um, that can make an impact next year. And I think that's what, you know, elite level recruiting is becoming is do your best to land the very, very best high school players you can relative to your program. If you don't get those guys, you don't need to reach anymore at the high school level. You can turn to the portal and get some good players out of there. So I totally agree with that strategy. The other bit of news to touch on, Gabby, with recruiting is Armando Blunt flipping. Well, number one, he officially reclassified to the class of 2024, the defensive tackle out of Miami Central. I don't even know. Does he have his new ranking yet? Yeah, he's like class? a top – I think he's like the number 39 overall player in the 24 okay. class. So. so top 50 player, 
Um, flip, and then he soon after that flipped to Florida State. What what happened there? Yeah, that's a just it's just been a total whirlwind, right? And yeah, you know, I think Zach Blostein at, at Knowles twenty four seven did a good job of of breaking down kind of like the timeline of how things happened. You know, at least from the Florida State perspective. And uh, I think he, I think he did a great job of of digging on that and finding, uh, you know, the path to this happening. So, you know, if uh, I, I would encourage, you know, the Miami fans to read his breakdown of of events and how that kind of came to be. Uh, it sounds like the the true like the first kind of moment in all of this. Well, first first of all, Armando Blunt, like I mean, before he kind of committed to Miami, I think a lot of people felt like Florida State was really the school that was in there. The last day of July, right before the the dead period, the August dead period, uh, Blunt and his mom had dinner with uh, Miami staff, like you know, less than a mile away from campus. Uh, so they were able to do that for in, on an unofficial visit, and I think that really. I think ignited a lot of the Miami stuff where they were able to kind of combat a late Florida state visit that in that July. And then again, I think as they pressed, they beat Texas A&M, which was a huge, huge deal. And I think uh, as they were figuring they were going to reclassify. And at that point, I think they're already kind of preparing for it. They knew they kind of had to make a decision and Miami felt like the place where, you know, they wanted to be um, again, the way Zach kind of details it is that Georgia tech loss. Uh, was a turning point, you know, just because of, I guess, you know, obviously the loss to Georgia Tech, but maybe that reignited conversations with Florida State. And I think that, you know, they, those guys just kind of wedged their way back into that recruitment and uh, found a way to kind of backdoor it and, uh, you know, through Miami. And uh, over the weekend, of course, you know, there was plenty of smoke or going into the weekend, there was plenty of smoke already that Blunt was going to flip. Uh, there was also plenty of buzz that he was going to, announce that reclassification or that the reclassification was looking to be you know like that was the way things were trending he was going to in fact do it and uh i think miami uh you know especially after they beat clemson you know really uh just wanted to make just wanted to try to get him out of tallahassee uncommitted to the seminoles and uh, i think that they absolutely you know tried the way any staff in the country would try to you know, just kind of right. try to just be like, hey, Recruited. come back, come come back down. Let's just get back down here. Let's kind of let's talk, you know, all those things. And I do think that if my I do think they felt like or there was a feeling that if they got him back down to Miami, they could kind of figure things out. And if they were able to if he was if they were able to get him out of Tallahassee uncommitted that and if they got him back down to South Florida, uh, you know, they would have been able to kind of maybe smooth this situation over. They were under the impression that he was going to give them the opportunity to just kind of sit down and chat and talk and get through this whole thing. Um, I don't know what changed over the course of that, I guess, Sunday. Um, but Blunt decided to just go ahead and move forward with his decision to commit to the Seminoles. And, uh, you know, that was kind of that. And, uh, you know, from a Miami perspective and where they kind of go from here, obviously they've had a lot of success at Central. Um, you know, Jube Joseph, the head coach at Central, is the brother of Sabbath Joseph, who's on Miami staff as a linebacker analyst. Uh, Roland Smith, the longtime Miami Central head coach, is on Miami staff. Uh, so Miami's done has obviously has plenty of inroads in Central. Um, you know, just what I kind of heard here, what I've heard to this point early in the week. Uh, I think Miami and Blunt have had some contact and 
you know, some way, shape or form. But I, I don't think it's been overly productive uh, to this point. But I say that to say that it's October 24th and uh, National Signing Day is on December 20th. So a lot can happen between now and then. And I, you know, definitely expect Miami to kind of continue chipping away there. What is the feedback? You know, you touched on a little bit in the Instant Reaction podcast, but Miami also played host to five-star quarterback Ellis Robinson during this Clemson game weekend um, on an unofficial visit. What's the feedback you're getting now that we're a few days removed from that visit? Yeah, it's still really positive, you know, and not positive to the point where, like, you know, Miami feels like or anyone really feels like uh, Ellis is just going to flip. But this I, I didn't realize this because I feel like Ellis has been around so much. Uh, but this was actually the first game he ever watched at Hard Rock Stadium. This is the first time he ever actually watched Miami play. It was against Clemson, obviously a big national brand. And I think we as fans of the sport understand that, hey, Clemson's maybe having a down year. Uh, but to these kids like that have only watched Clemson be great their entire like lives childhood teenage years like that's a huge 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 win uh in the eyes of of a of a prospect like that and um i think miami's i think ellis has just always wanted to kind of see miami get it done on the field and you know he kind of continues to maintain that he's going to make some sort of final decision you know basically closer to signing day or after his senior season and like he like he he acknowledges that miami's a school that he's still really, really considering. Uh, and I think, I think Miami definitely made some headway over the weekend. And I still think there's a lot of, there's a lot of ground to cover there. There's a lot of things that are going to have to go right for Miami. Uh, but I think just the people around him, everyone I kind of talked to about Ellis Robinson uh, acknowledges that he just loves the city of Miami. He loves, he loves being down here. He loves, he comes and trains down here. Uh, he just enjoys the city and uh, can definitely see a life for himself in Miami. So I, I think uh, it's kind of balls in Miami's court to kind of give him uh, enough reasons to just come. And uh, again, what does that look like? I still, I still think that that's unclear and uh, you know, what's it going to uh, ultimately take to get it done? Uh, I don't really know the answer to that right now, but I do think that there is a path uh, to Miami eventually potentially flipping a guy like Ellis Robinson. But uh, I th still think, I think ultimately the way to get there is, is just by winning football games and continuing to show that progress and showing that Miami's, uh, you know, leveling up as a program. And I think if you do that, then you're going to put yourself in the best position possible on signing day and then just kind of see where the chips fall. Tell us about Markel Bell, who is a Juco offensive lineman that, that Miami's kind of, uh, dealing with a little bit here in, in in the fall. What what do we need to know about him? Yeah, huge, just massive body type. Uh, six foot eight and a half. Uh, three hundred forty pounds is what he's listed at. Uh, reported, I think it was. I don't know if it was last week or maybe the week before that he was going to be in Miami for the Virginia game. It's an unofficial visit. Uh, Miami's evaluate uh, uh, Alex Mirabal evaluated him in person. Uh, for one of his games during Miami's bye week, I uh, loved what they saw from him. Uh, you know, I think there's some Miss those Mississippi schools are are in there. Ole Miss, Ole, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Uh, you know, those are those are going to be tough battles. Uh, but I think Miami, I think Miami getting him out to South Florida uh, is a huge, huge step uh, in in working on Markel Bell, trying to get him into this class. I think he's a 
I think he's like the number three or number four overall junior college prospect, the top offensive lineman in the junior college rankings. So uh, I think this is a big visit. And uh, I think they, I think they're very careful with their offensive line evaluations. And uh, I think what, I think if they are recruiting bell to this extent, it's because they think he, they don't think he's just a big body. Uh, I think they think he's a big body with athletic, with athletic upside where he can move. Cause I think they, we obviously see what they asked those offensive linemen to do. And I think uh, they think that Markel Bell can be that type of guy for them. So uh, I think this is a huge, huge visit this weekend and uh, could go a long way towards uh, potentially pulling him out of, uh, you know, the state of Mississippi, which uh, could be a, a tall task. And then the latest with running back Jordan Lyle, who is from St. Thomas Aquinas, having a nice senior season, committed to Ohio State. What's your understanding of, you know, Miami's chances there. Yeah, I think Miami's is definitely in there. And, you know, uh, Ohio, I think he got back up to Ohio State. It might have been for the first time this season uh, over the weekend. And uh, but I, I, you know, I Luke Cheney, who's who's joined us here at, at Inside the U and does, is covering FAU for the network as well. He he caught up with Jordan Lyle over, I think, on Friday night. And you know, I think he had like a five touchdown performance. Uh, in a win over Coconut Creek Monarch. And, you know, he kind of said that he's still given Miami a real, real look. Uh, he's been to two Miami home games this year. We'll see if he gets back for another. I guess the only windows for that would be Virginia this week or the Louisville game at the end of the year, which is shaping up to be, uh, you know, a big visit weekend. I think like the plan for now is like for, a, that's like the, the Louisville game is like when a Darius Hayes is going to be back for a Miami game uh, is, is the early some early buzz I'm getting on that situation. But uh, I think getting Jordan Lyle back is going to be a big next step and, you know, potential December official visit and see what that looks like. Obviously Miami has two running backs committed in the class right now. And uh, I think it's just going to be interesting to see how that whole shuffle kind of ends up, uh, you know, I guess looking like how that, what that ends up looking like when the dust settles, because taking three running backs, I feel like is a, is a big one too especially considering they already have 24 commits in the class. So uh, the running back situation to me is, 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 uh, is going to be very interesting to track over the next, I don't know, two months. All right. We'll get out of here on that. Appreciate everyone for listening. Um, we will be back Thursday afternoon-ish for a preview of the Virginia Cavaliers, the two-game winning streak Virginia Cavaliers after upsetting North Carolina. So uh, it's important for Miami to respect every opponent. That is something culturally that has not happened here the past 15 years or so. So hopefully Miami does that this week. Anyways, getting ahead of myself. Appreciate everyone for listening. And until next time, take care.